Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Nicole Thomas, Vice President here at McKinney Flavelle. Today is March 31st, 2022, and welcome to our Hot Commodity Podcast a day early because there was, you know, just these little reports that came out today that are kind of a big deal to the market. So why not cover that just a little earlier than usual? And of course, uh, you're not hearing Michael Coughlin's voice this afternoon, so I'll be taking over for him as host. Uh, And with me, I have uh, some of our illustrious analysts, some of the best in the industry. I've got Jeffrey Rosensky. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Nicole. I've got Eric Thornton. Hey, Eric. What's going on, Nicole? And Sean Bingham. Hi, Sean. Hello, everyone. Awesome. Now, uh, to jump right into it, because we know you all are very anxious to hear what came out of these reports today, we're going to discuss both the prospective plannings report uh, as well as the grain stocks report. And I think maybe just to uh, leave some suspense in the air, we're going to start with Jeff and talk about sugar. How about that? What do you think, Jeff? That sounds good, good to me, Nicole. All right. So in reviewing today's planted acreage on sugar beets, I think it would be interesting to take a look at where we've been at in prior years. So in 2019, we had 1,133,000 acres planted. In 2020, 1,162,200 acres. Last year, so the same time last year, acreage was basically unchanged relative to 2020 with 1,169,000 acres. Uh, what's the prospective plantings. And ultimately, we saw 1,160,000 acres planted. Um, I think it's also interesting to take a look at um, what was generally considered a very cooperative growing season. So um, planting season and, and, and planting was right on schedule, uh, perhaps a little earlier than normal. We had no extreme weather conditions, no m- mud in the fields uh, to slow things down, no substantial flooding in the Red River Valley. Uh, no drought during the summer, and ultimately that that resulted in excellent yields and a a record beet crop close to 5.4 million short tons. So what did today's planting intensive report show as it it concerns sugar beets? Uh, Well, I think today's focus and the other speakers are clearly going to be talking on on what's on, you know, topmost on people's minds, which is the grains markets, wheat, corn, and soybeans in particular. But as far as sugar beets were concerned, um, lower prospective plantings by 17,000 um, acres, or ultimately the, the, the final number was 1,143,400 acres, or a drop of 1%. The most sizable reductions were in the state of Michigan um, at 145,000 acres, down 6%. Minnesota was down 1% in terms of their acreage, and both Idaho and Wyoming were also down one respectively each. So this lower acreage perhaps will bolster price um, offers started to be made um, during last month's colloquium event. And as beet sellers evolve their forward sales book, I think they're going to get a little prouder with the remaining balance they have yet to market. So in recap or in summary, I, I guess I would interpret today's reports as being mildly bullish or supportive. Back to you, Nicole. Excellent recap, Jeff. Now we know what's going on with sugar. Eric, getting into those grains. Everybody's wondering about wheat. What happened in that category? Yeah, let's let's talk about it, Nicole. We were expecting uh, pre-report estimates anyway, somewhere around 48 million total acres for winter wheat and spring wheat. So we actually 
got the number and it came in below those expectations. Uh, 47.4 million total, still up 1% versus last year at 46.7 million acres, but um, you know, representative of roughly a 700,000 acre increase, but about 700,000 acres short of market expectations. So uh, looking quickly at the winter wheat numbers, which really we didn't see or expect much of any changes there since we got the January seedlings update of what was planted last fall. So 34.2 million total winter wheat acres uh, down just 200,000 acres from that January update. And uh, making up that total is 23.7 million hard red winter wheat, 6.9 million soft red winter, and 3.6 million of white winter wheat. So the winter wheat acreage is up, and a lot of the focus, though, was towards how much more spring wheat acres would we get this year. And uh, we definitely didn't see enough acres there to at least have a uh, neutral to potentially bearish reaction. We actually saw that uh, 11.2 million acres are planned for other spring wheat, and that's down 2% versus last year's uh, drought-stricken planted crop in the northern plains. So of that 11.2, uh, 10.5 million is planned for hard red spring. We planted 10.9 million acres last year, so down 2% there. And uh, North Dakota is the top producing state for hard red spring, and that was down 300,000 acres from last year. Montana did see an upward revision of 150,000 acres, so somewhat encouraging there at least. But you know, looking at the drought weather maps recently and what's really transpired all fall and winter is Montana still experiencing some pretty dry conditions and, and drought conditions. So not the best of news to see. We got an acreage up there in that state when, you know, conditions are less than ideal. Uh, long way to go, obviously, and, and we'll see if these numbers hold once we get to the June uh, update in a few months. But uh, lastly, I'll comment on the Durham uh, wheat, which uh, was low last year in acres and also experienced drought last year. We did see a 17% increase there. Um, we're just below 2 million acres for Durham wheat, so good rebound for that wheat class there. But it's you know, really kind of short of expectations. And I'll comment quickly on the grain stocks report as reported uh, from March 1st. We were just over a billion bushels reported, down 22% versus last year and the lowest in 14 years. So pr pretty low stocks, uh, and that was certainly... A little bit below expectations and bullish. So overall, um, one would expect you know some pretty steep and upward price reaction. But it was actually somewhat subdued. And you know maybe Sean will comment on this later. But you know my uh, early thought is the market may may have to digest this a bit. But ultimately, even the the war risk premium that's been built in and what's going on in Ukraine almost seems to maybe we'll say has eroded and maybe we're trading again just still in a tight supply uh, situation until obviously we get through this summer and growing season, but really not as much volatility, at least post-report, as you'd expect from a price reaction standpoint. But certainly could have used more acres. You know, I think Nicole will give some insights as to maybe where some of those acres went on corn and soybeans, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, where did those acres go? Uh, so yeah, let's talk a little bit about corn and soy. In today's report, 
bit of a shocker for the market based on analyst expectations and just, you know, kind of how things have, have gone traditionally. We got corn acreage at 89 and a half million acres, which was well below analyst estimates of an average of about 92 million. Uh, and soybean acreage of 91 million acres, well above the analyst estimate of an average of 88.9 million. And really, as far as that corn acreage is concerned, the most significant decreases came from some of our more significant state-by-state uh, -state producers. You had uh, Illinois down 3% versus last year's report, Indiana down 6%, Iowa down 2%, Minnesota down 7%, North Dakota down 12%, uh, Ohio down 6%. And then uh, one lowly uh, significant producer with a slight increase of about 1% was South Dakota. So, you know, let me say this. Obviously, you can only put so much weight in, in these numbers for a few reasons. Number one, they are based on farmer surveys. So in that sense, it's, it's very much, you know, what the producer believes they're going to do at this point in time. And speaking of that point in time, they were taken before the Russian invasion of Ukraine really got underway. Now, granted, you can make an argument that that scenario impacts both of these crops in some form or another, uh, but probably wasn't front of mind consideration right at that point. But I'll also say, uh, I think we'd have to be a bit obtuse to not acknowledge these numbers may be saying something. You know, first, that although, although U.S. farmers have historically always favored corn, that market dynamics, both current and upcoming, may be altering or at least expanding their perceptions a bit regarding what the plant. And I think there's two reasons for that. Number one, there's no denying that both fertilizer costs and availability are being considered in a more meaningful way this year, particularly when we look at how much those prices uh, have risen over the last six months or so. Uh, and secondly, as I recall from my merchandising days many moons ago, those morning coffee sessions at the local breakfast spot probably have been filled with more and more discussion about things like renewable diesel, more soybean crushing capacity coming online, and the overall demand draw for soybeans becoming a bigger and bigger factor in the grand scheme of things. But lastly, on this subject, I'll add there's been a push towards the USDA for an early release of acreage from the Conservation Reserve Program that could ultimately add to these numbers uh, if those changes are made. Uh, and that would be something to watch that could be beneficial to acreage numbers for all the row crops in 2022. Uh, last year, there were about 22 and a half million acres enrolled in that program. And that is not to say all that acreage is ideal for farming. Again, from those merchandising days, uh, that was a bit of, run of a running joke uh, amongst us that you didn't necessarily put your best yielding acres in CRP anyway. But even a couple, you know, maybe a few million acres and some reasonably decent yields uh, could ultimately be impactful to balance sheets. So anticipate some firming of these numbers coming at the end of June, and we could see quite a bit of variation there. But two things I think uh, will stand. Number one, you're going to see a new sort of, at least in this season, level of closeness in acreage between uh, soybeans and corn in the U.S. market. And number two, that those uh, numbers 
will there will be a lot to consider as it relates to what's happening in the geopolitical scenario between now and then. So we will continue to see the market trade both on that typical seasonal volatility and and this being their guide for the for the next three months anyway, as well as what's happening. Uh, in uh, from a geopolitical standpoint. Now, as far as the, as the stocks report is, uh, we're concerned, corn stocks at 7.85 billion. That's up two percent versus 2021, and very close to the average of of analysts' uh, expectations. On farm stocks up minimally from last year at 4.8 billion, but those uh, on-farm stocks uh, were greater than those that are off-farm, which were pegged at 3.77 billion. That's up 3% versus 2021. And then disappearance for that second quarter was up by about 5% versus last year uh, at around a little under 3.8 billion bushels. That basically means farmers continue to hold a lot of corn uh, and that could be influential to basis values for the remainder of the 21-22 marketing year. Uh, as far as soy stocks were concerned, those were pegged at 1.93 billion. That's up a whopping 2,400, uh, or excuse me, 24% from last year, and just a bit higher than the analyst uh, average expectation of roughly 1.91 billion. So reasonably close. And of course, those stocks being uh, much larger. Uh, this year isn't surprising considering we were very tight on soybeans in the 2020-21 uh, marketing year. On-farm stocks at 750 million bushels, off-farm stocks at 1.18 billion bushels. Uh, and with lower export demand this year uh, than, than what we saw last, we also saw that that disappearance in the second quarter of 21-22 uh, was down about 12% versus last year uh, at a little over 1.2 billion bushels. So it seems in the case of beans, uh, processors may have the upper hand as far as stocks are concerned. And let's face it, with soybean futures well above $16 a bushel, they won't have to push those bean basis values too high to keep uh, producers and elevators happy and, and willing to move those their way. So that sums up the, the corn and soy. Hey, Sean, um, you want to throw in some parting comments here? I'll, th I'll throw in uh, some color commentary here. A um, couple things. Going back to uh, Eric mentioned um, uh, wheat stocks down 22, 23%. I dug into that number a little bit. And, and one of the really shocking parts of that was on-farm stocks. Lowest level since 2008. And as a percentage of total stocks, uh, 17%. Very very low number. Um, Two thousand eight for reference was about thirteen percent. It was it was pretty ugly. Uh, where did that come from? You can peg all of that to four states: South Dakota down fifty eight percent, North Dakota forty six percent, Montana and Minnesota down thirty nine percent on those on farm stocks. So all all very regional uh, in that case. Uh, Nicole, you had mentioned uh, you know we, we talk about it all the time the the corn uh, soybean acreage battle. I went back and looked at some data uh, from 1977. And if you kind of throw out those uh, those crazy years uh, where they've kind of gone in opposite directions, it, it's been a very consistent, uh, you know, you run a regression line up there, very consistent slope for both of those, nearly, nearly parallel, but not really. There is There has been a slow grind of soybeans catching up to corn. It's not super dramatic, uh, but I think I think that's 
that's something that we're going to see more and more of. And uh, and if this year we have more soybean acres than corn, it it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, cotton, yeah, cotton was well. Let's call it a surprise and not a surprise. Cotton acres were up nine uh, percent, but this was, uh, and then, you know, I think that was the biggest gainer uh, on a percentage basis. But this is really uh, a big rebound uh, from from some really really uh, low acres last year. Uh, we we were at like twelve point twelve point one million acres back in twenty twenty. Twenty twenty one dropped down to eleven point two. And so we're 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 back above uh, 2020 at 12 point, uh, 12.2. So we gained nearly a million acres uh, in cotton, and at a dollar forty per pound, who can blame them? Uh, I'm from West Texas. Grow that cotton from fence post to fence post because uh, there's a lot of money in it. Last comment, technically, as far as what we're seeing in the marketplace, I'll make this really short. Absolutely no change. My personal trend models have have all turned really much more bearish here in the last week for just about everything but soybeans. Soybeans is getting hit hard today. Still, what I would call in that that neutral to bullish uh, area, uh, but technically we're fairly range bound. But I would say uh, if there's some weaker technical spots, uh, even despite this report, uh, I think it's corn and wheat. And soybean oil. So that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, Nicole. Hey, I think that was great. And I think, you know, as we've all kind of talked about on these podcasts over the, the last few months, it's an interesting time for the markets to have so many crops in need of better production this year. And you throw in the risk of, at best, less grain coming out of uh, that Black Sea region, and things get really interesting. So... Uh, stay tuned, I guess, is the best way to put it. Hey, Jeff, Eric, Sean, thank you all, as always, for great commentary. And of course, uh, I can't get off of one of these podcasts without a plug for uh, our IQ platform, where you're going to find a lot of this analysis, including, at least by tomorrow, uh, some updated looks at our first looks at the 22-23 crop year. For a lot of these uh, crops, and I'm sure everyone's curious what that ending stocks number may look like, especially now that we have some some numbers, some new numbers to work with. And also, I definitely have to mention that we are having our spring market outlook uh, webinar on April 6th. Those email invites are going out now, so you should see that uh, very shortly. And then the the big the big event, the must attend event. For the industry, McKinney Flavel Spring Seminar, April 27th in Oak Brook, Illinois, virtual or in person. We want you there uh, and we'd be happy to uh, share our thoughts, not just on the current market dynamics for, for some of these uh, commodities, but also what the future may hold. And we're doing it in a very clever and fun way. And I don't think you want to miss that. I'm not going to spoil it, but you definitely don't want to miss that. So that wraps up our weekly Hot Commodity Podcast. I want to thank everyone for listening in. And as Mike always says, live with an attitude of gratitude. Until next time, take care, everybody. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favelle's IQ Ingredient Intelligence platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini for more information. 
And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.